joining me as they do now on a Tuesday night, Dr. Matthew Barton and Dr. Michael Todorovich. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Good job. Good evening. Doctors Matt and Mike. Okay. Now, tonight we're talking about hearing. What's that I hear you say? Well, hearing. We're talking about hearing. That wasn't even clever, but I, <laughs> I had to do it. All right, first off. The thing that everyone does, that everyone says we shouldn't do, we put the little ear cleaner things in our ears. Mm. Just how dangerous is that? Or is it a beat up? Well, what they say is you probably put, shouldn't put anything in your ears smaller than your elbow, basically. Okay. Uh, so taking the little cotton bud, sticking it in your ear to try and get some of that wax out, mm. just makes things worse and pushes that wax even deeper in your oh. ear canal. So... If you do have excessive earwax, usually you shouldn't touch it. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Your ear produces earwax, and if there's a, an excess amount, it'll just let it leak out by itself. Oh, who wants that, though? Otherwise, if you start to uh, <laughs> lose a little bit of hearing from excessive earwax, mm. you can go to your GP and, and get it flushed. But some things can actually happen, arise from flushing the earwax, some interesting clinical points can arise. Such as? Well, there's uh, a nerve that... It comes in and innovates your eardrum uh -huh. called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve also innovates your heart. And what it does is it What's tells you... What's innovating? Oh, sorry. It, it basically speaks to the heart muscle uh -huh. and tells it to slow down. So when you stimulate this vagus nerve, it slows your heart rate down. Oh, okay. And so sometimes people can, when they get their ears flushed, it can stimulate this vagus nerve and it can tell their heart rate to slow down and sometimes tell their heart rate to slow down so much that they can lose consciousness. Like faint. Faint, oh, yeah. Right. So, so keep that in mind. Particularly for older, pe older people who may have hearing aids. This can irritate enough to cause fainting. Yeah. And, uh, and interestingly enough, some people, when they clean their ear as well, if they go deep enough, they can irritate that vagus nerve as well, which also innovates or speaks to the lungs, and it can cause you to cough. So some people, if they clean their ears, they may cough. All right. So if yeah. you're cleaning your ear and you're thinking, why do I cough after that? We now know why. Yeah. So keep the cotton bud out of your ear, people. I'd say so. Yeah, the wax there is there for a reason. Okay. So what if you're talking about leaky wax? Nobody wants that because <laughs> yeah. that's just ugly. Uh, what about just in the outer ear, not putting it in the actual ear canal, but cleaning out, you know, that, that little bit of your, the ear, your, bit of the ear you can see? The, so to speak. Is that okay? The pinner. So the pinner is what is the technical term that we use for the external part of the ear. Yep. And I'd say if you're not going into the tunnel of your ear, it mm -hmm. probably isn't too bad. That's okay? Yeah. All right. You don't want to push that earwax any deeper towards that eardrum. Okay. Do people ever hear better? Well, I suppose if there's a problem with hearing, if there's so much earwax, why would you have excess earwax? That's a good question. Um, what you've got in the uh, canal of your ear is these wax-producing cells. Uh-huh. Uh, and... Why, the reason why we produce all this earwax is for a couple of reasons. One, it's antimicrobial, so it kills off bacteria that's present. Okay. It protects the deeper aspects of your ear from any invading um, bacteria or whatever Spiders it may be. Spiders that like to live in there. Spiders as well, yeah. that's for sure. And also stops your the skin within your ear from getting too wet. And if it gets too wet, it can be damaged as well. Oh, okay. So it's there actually if there's a protective barrier, so stop it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, that makes more sense, doesn't it? Mm. All right, now, that's cleaning your ears. Uh, don't do it, the message tonight. Why are our ears shaped the way they are? Although, apparently, ears are as individual as fingerprints. Is that, is that true? 
They, I would say ever. Well, I'd say you could probably take any particular anatomical um, part of the body, and there's going to be some variation to it that will be unique to the okay. individual. And so I'd say because of all the contours and and uh, lumps and bumps of the ears, that mm. yeah, the, you're probably going to have more variation with the ears and now other we're all parts. looking at each other's ears here. Matt's <laughs> ears are was- a bit freaky. Yeah, well, actually, Matt's ears are very smooth. Like very smooth, big lobes, I'd say. They, yes, they are. <laughs> Not quite Julia Gillard that. standard, but uh, <laughs> she had big ears, which no one ever noticed until she became Prime Minister. They was like, my God, look at those earlobes. You notice everything then. Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, so shape. Yeah, uh, Matt, you were well, about to throw I think, uh, <laughs> anatomically, or functionally, yep. they are, are like satellite dishes, so they funnel sound into your ear canal. Mm-hmm. So that's probably one of their main functions. But they do have a unique structure, like you said. And I think from a human's point of view, they allow us to hear a different spectrum, a wider spectrum of frequency, and particularly us, allow us to hear from a more of a vertical plane rather than horizontal. Mm. Horizontal, hearing in different kind of right, left, and where it's actually localising is a communication between the right and left ear, but where it's coming up or below is the shape of your ear and the kind of the different curvature in your ear. Mm. So for people who can, uh, you know, there are some people who can pinpoint where sound is coming a whole lot better than others can. Would that have anything to do with the shape of their ears or is that just another skill totally? I would say that's probably a learned skill as opposed to the shape of the ear. I think the variation, even though you've got, you know, minor variations in the anatomy of the ear, Mm. I would say that those minor variations wouldn't be sufficient enough for an individual to be able to pinpoint sound. I'd say that that would be a learned task. If you have a question this evening, by the way, for Drs Matt and Mike about hearing, give us a call, 1300 222 612, 1300 or of course you can text 0467 um, With that then, uh, the more, uh, let's let's use the, uh, the technical phrase, sticky out ears, mm. uh, are they therefore actually doing you a favour in terms of hearing? Are you funnelling sound better with those? Because even though, uh, you know, you see lots of pictures from the, you know, the way back when, when a pinning of ears didn't happen. Mm. And human beings seem to have way more sticky out ears then than we do now. Well, I would say if you look at the variability in in the ears, even just among primates, Mm. including us, you'll find that some ears are going to be taller than they are wider. Some are going to be as wide as they are tall. And what they've found is that uh, these ear shapes correspond with the types of frequencies you can pick up. So Mm. humans will pick up frequencies between 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz. That's the frequency we can pick up. Usually general conversation, general sound and noise that we pick up is between about 500 hertz and 4,000. Now, that's because we've got tall ears and quite uh, narrow ears. But if you've got wider ears, then you're going to pick up lower frequencies, for example. And so that may be a benefit for certain species, certain animals. Okay. And then... no, 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 you go on. <laughs> and then there, you if, if you look at the, the shape of other animals' ears, so if you look at, say, dogs, you would see yep. how some domesticated dogs have very floppy ears mm. compared to, say, wolves that have very pointy ears. There's a theory, a domestication theory, which they believe that uh, when we develop as fetuses, mm. there's a special type of cell that comes from the, the neural tube that goes in the different parts of the body. And one part of it goes to your adrenal gland that makes your adrenaline. 
Mm-hmm. And so when you look at, say, wolves, they're still working off a lot of adrenaline because they're out in the wild. But as we've domesticated um, animals, the because they're not in such a stressful situation anymore, their, animal, their ears aren't as pointy anymore, and so they're much more floppy. And so you can compare that to, say, pigs, goats, mm. dogs. They all have much floppier ears compared to their wild comparison. Why is it that dogs can hear? A, a whole, you know, vast, vastly better range of, of sounds than human beings can. That's why well, it's not that much greater than ours. Really? I mean, it is, but it's not... sensational at So, it. they can get up to about 15,000 hertz. Yeah. But cats can get, I think, about equivalent, maybe a little bit higher so than dogs. So, cats can hear as well as dogs can, as far maybe as, better. As far as I'm aware, yes, when it comes to the frequency but and the hertz. Cats are no help to us, though, are they? Cats don't care about us. No, this is true. <laughs> they don't, and that's why people love them. That's right. <laughs> So you got this quite this quite a uh, wide variety of frequencies that can be picked up. So, for mm. example, uh, dolphins and bats can pick up frequencies up to a hundred thousand hertz. And again, oh, okay. our max is about twenty thousand. And so, yeah, dolphins hundred thousand, bats two hundred thousand hertz, and elephants can go down to about fifteen hertz. So very low frequencies. So just so people are aware, the high frequencies are going to be the higher pitch, mm-hmm. and the low frequencies are going to be the lower. Sounds. Ron from Oxley has a question. Uh, evening, Ron. Evening, Carol. What's your question? In relation to our, our hearing, I just had a question as to some people can sing pitch perfect. Mm. Other people can sing reasonably well and others of us cannot sing in pitch at all. Does that have to do with our hearing or is that more like a hand-eye coordination thing? Is that more a, um, a brain function than a hearing function? Great question. I would say it's a, con- uh, a conversation from what's called the inner ear with the brain itself. So there's the auditory pathway. And so what happens is you've got the outer, middle and inner ear. And sound's going to vibrate through the atmosphere, go into the outer ear, which is basically that the outer ear that you see and then the canal and then it hits the eardrum and the Mm. eardrum just like a a drum that you'd see has that vibrating membrane and that vibrating membrane then vibrates three small bones in the middle ear and those bones start to vibrate all the way through and then they vibrate to the inner ear where they vibrate a liquid in what's called the cochlea which looks like a snail shell and then that cochlea moves some hair cells and then these hair cells turn this signal into an electrical signal that then goes to the brain and tells you what frequencies have been, have been picked up. That's so, quite a process that must happen mm. almost instantaneously. Yeah, so it goes from a vibration in air to a mechanical signal to a hydraulic signal to an electrical signal which then is fed through at the brain and at the cochlea. So this is where it comes to the different pitches, mm. for example. So the different pitches and different frequencies. In the cochlea, you've got about 3,500 cells that have hairs on them. And these 3,500 uh, hair cells pick up different types of frequencies. So if you picture it as this uh, uh, snail shell, at the bottom of it, it picks up high frequencies, so high mm-hmm. pitches, and at the top of it, it picks up low frequencies. And so depending on the pitch that's coming in and the frequency that's coming in, it's going to stimulate certain cells along that cone. And mm-hmm. so as you get older, the higher pitch, so right down the bottom, they're the cells that die off 
first. So that's why you lose your high pitches. That's exactly right. Mm. So you lose high pitch first, they're the ones down the bottom. Yep. And so it's going to be a, con uh, a conversation between how many of these hair cells you have to pick up all the pitch mm. and the conversation it has when it gets to the auditory cortex of the brain, which is the lobe that sits just behind the ears. All right. So then to answer Ron's question, is is that a learned behaviour? Is it something that you either either born with the ability to sing pitch perfect or, or to pick pitch, to be pitch perfect? I think, I, I think then singing becomes a, a coordination in your pharynx and your larynx. So mm. the ability to be able to coordinate your vocal cords, which produce the sound, and then all your pharynx, all the muscles to coordinate it perfectly to um, form the words and to form the pitch Mm. You know, in a certain way, would probably require a combination of good genes and yep. training. Well, I'd say predominantly training. But, okay. I would say predominantly learned. So, so for those people who then, uh, someone can hit a note on the piano and they can pick it, that's that's good ears though. You've got to have, or no, it's everyone's ears. We can all do it, but just some of us are better at it than others. And probably the processing, your brain processing, has probably got a huge yep. part of it as well to do that. So I would say, yeah, there's mm. definitely the genetic background to it, but also practice makes pitch perfect it does <laughs> oh very nice how good is that joining me this evening on tuesday nights we talk about the human body and tonight we're talking about hearing with uh, doctors matt and mike and one of the uh the things i want to bring up is tinnitus now you, you sent me this link and it slayed me because for me <laughs> tinnitus is always that high pitch just ringing sound that's how i've always thought everybody experienced tinnitus and you sent me this link to the british tinnitus association and this is just a small sample of the types of sounds that people with tinnitus can hear Some of those are actually distressing. They're anxiety-inducing, aren't they? Yes, they really are. I didn't know that the, the types of tinnitus was so varied. Vast, what what yeah. is happening with those variations? Well, there's, there could be a number of things that happen. I mean, you have certain medications that can be toxic to the, the ear cells. So some antibiotics, generally they end with myosin, in excessive amounts can be toxic. Um, there's some um, drugs for... Um, cancer therapies they could be also toxic to the cells of your ear and then there's obviously sounds so high loud sounds so a one-off really loud blast can like a, a cannon going off next right, to you yeah so you're a or gun. a bomb dropping yeah. next to you that can cause structural changes in your ear that can then mm. cause processing issues or just an exposure to sounds over long periods of time jackhammers or if you're in a band Yes. For example, something like that. And, and it can so, really happen at any point along that auditory pathway. Yeah. And it was it used to be thought that the hair cells were kind of sheared off mm. and then that would cause the, the sound production. But it's thought now it's more of a metabolic, kind of like if you um, excessively use your muscles like in a marathon or something, sometimes mm. your muscles break down in a certain way that can be toxic to the body. In a similar way, if you kind of bombard your hair cells so much, it can be toxic to their own self. Yeah. Brendan from Brisbane has a question on this. Hi, Brendan. Hey, how are you doing? Good. We're talking about tinnitus. Do you have it? Uh, yes, I do. It's um, Thankfully, mine's just the ringing. It's not those mm. um, hell sounds you just played. Oh, are they but, awful? Um, but it's, you know, it's quite, it's been there for a while and, and I'm just, I've, I read about it every now and then and I've never read anything about any good treatment for it. Is there anything on the horizon mm. um, in this regard? 
Well, first thing I would say is definitely go see an audiologist. Uh, and an audiologist will be up to date with the most recent evidence-based practice. But w when it comes to the tinnitus, it really um, depends on the type. So you, you can have what's called objective tinnitus. And this means that an observer, such as your audiologist, can have a look in and really know and measure what's causing it. So it could be blood flow going past or muscles or joints moving or so forth. Or the majority of uh, tinnitus is subjective, which means that the observer or your audiologist can't see what's really causing it. Mm. And like Matt said, it could be due to a number of different reasons. Uh, yeah. When it comes to the treatment, there's a number of different treatment options available. Um, not all of them work, and depending on the type of tinnitus, uh, the uh, efficacy is variable. So, for example, they first state that you need to reduce excessive sounds. That's the first thing. They also say uh, to uh, make sure or try and create an environment with ambient noise. So maybe going to sleep with a fan on, for example. Mm. As soon as you have that absence of sound, you really start to notice that tinnitus noise coming mm. through. Yes, yeah, when you notice your own heartbeat that you rarely ever notice. Or when you've got your hand up against your ear in a certain mm -hmm. position and all of a sudden you can Here's hear your heartbeat or blood, even you know, your pulse is like, whoa, that what's that? Yeah. Well, they think yeah. it's, it's, it's quite similar to chronic pain because in chronic pain what happens is you'll get a painful stimulus to begin with mm. and the central nervous system takes that painful stimulus and instead of dampening it like it does with every other sensory input we have, when you put your socks on in the morning, you yep. feel your socks for the first five seconds and you don't feel it for the rest of the day. True. So it dampens it. But pain is different. When you experience pain, pain, your body, unless you mitigate and get rid of it, it amplifies it. Mm. And so what can happen is if you keep getting pa uh, this painful sensation, your central nervous system reorganizes itself to continually feel this pain and that results in chronic pain. They think that tinnitus may be a similar issue in which you get reorganization of the central nervous system after you've experienced some sort of sound or damage to the inner ear potentially, mm. and it just amplifies and amplifies. And even though the definition of tinnitus is uh, you're perceiving sound with no actual external cause for the sound. Mm. It's this amplification and reorganization of the central nervous system. So cochlear implants, for example, have also been shown to be quite efficacious for tinnitus as well. Oh, okay. All right. So um, your audiologist is probably your first step. Brendan, good luck. Yeah, thanks. I'll do that. Yeah, Brendan from Brisbane. And there'd, there'd be a lot of people who had it who, and as you say, the ambient noise can can be you know it kicks in and yeah they say about 50 percent well. of adults have a degree of it wow mm. all right now loud sounds music are they actually bad for our ears you know to go to the odd concert and whether it's blasting well i think particularly nowadays with um the overuse of earplugs or ear pods mm -hmm. where yeah. you've got these little plugs that are focused into your ear canal and it's like a having a rock concert directly in your ear canal. Yeah, where you can hear them when you're on the train two seats yeah, away. Yeah, right. <laughs> that can't be good for you. So similarly yeah. with what, how I explain with tinnitus, the, the exposure over long periods of time to that high degree of sound will slowly cause degradation to the hair cells, which mm. um, will slowly degrade your ability to discern sound and so forth. Yeah. Um, Graham from Barden, does hearing become more sensitive for the visually impaired? I think that's, again, one of those uh, sensory functions that uh, you work on. So, mm -hmm. obviously, you've got a number of different senses, and the visual senses we rely upon a fair bit. And so, if that's absent, then you need other senses to be able to locate uh, certain objects, certain structures, mm -hmm. know what's going on. You yep. had a story about a, a, a blind man 
Yeah, I heard a, um, a recent story where about a 20-year-old, he became blind and he found a professor in Cambridge in the UK who was using kind of echolocation um, to overcome blindness. Mm. And so he taught himself how to see in a room or see basically see anywhere through clicking. So he would kind of just do clicking and he could... Uh, basically rewire his brain where just like bats would send out a signal and it would bounce off an object come back and his wow. brain could perceive it well enough to know not only what's in the room but also see quite a distance outside and he could discern between say different types of fences whether it's a, a shrub or so he's he gone all daredevil has yeah. he yeah. <laughs> for those who know daredevil so you're <laughs> I'm impressed by that. Yeah, your brain has a huge, huge capacity to yeah. be able to, its plasticity to be able to reorganise itself. Mm. Right. Craig from Palmwoods, good evening. Yeah. What was your question for doctors Matt and Mike? Um, a query about the nerve from the ear to the brain. Um, I'm 47 now, but when I was about uh, a few months old or one or something or other, I had mumps and it's apparently killed the nerve in one of my ears. One's fine, one is not working at all. Um, that, well, mm. I can't hear anything, but apparently the doctors reckon that my ear is still okay. I don't know how they know that. Um, what's, how do they know that it's working is one. And the other thing is, is there anything on the horizon for nerve repair? Interesting. Well, that's kind of my area. My PhD was in nerve repair, but not in that particular nerve. The nerve that's taken um, auditory sound is called your auditory nerve, and there's, there's kind of two parts. It's actually called the vestibular cochlea, which is a cranial nerve. Um, the vestibular part is for your balance centre, so that kind mm -hmm. of tells you what you're doing in space, where your head's located and what your body's doing. But the cochlear part, which is that kind of snail shell that Mike explained, that's taking the auditory information from your hair cells. And that's mm. purely just a sensory nerve that's taking uh, everything that's just coming through your ear canal and kind of taking it to the auditory part of your brain to process and make sense of. Now, with nerve repair, essentially what the peripheral nerves, these are the nerves that are outside the brain, can, to, can do much better than the brain and spinal cord can, is re regenerate. So there would be definitely capacity for a regeneration on the horizon, I would imagine. Mm. That's good news, Craig. Well, it's, take, it's taking its time doing it itself. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's something that would take, is it years, months? Do we have any time yeah, frames so, on that? So a similar kind of nerve injury is um, Bell's palsy, which can be certain viruses that can affect a different nerve. This one is the facial nerve. And so mm. some people, they can get this paralysed and then the whole face starts to droop. And then slowly after time, the, the nerve can regenerate about a millimetre per day. And then, mm. depending on how long the nerve is, would determine how quick it and how far it can get. And, and the type of damage. Yeah. yeah. And so, I would imagine in, his, in, in your case, it possibly might need a surgical intervention if but that was something that your ENT surgeon or mm. similar... We'd would have to decide yeah, on. that's right. All right. So, there are some options there, hopefully, for you, Craig. Excellent. Thanks very much. Thank you. Craig from Palmwoods. This is ABC Radio Brisbane in Queensland. You're with Kelly Higgins-Devine. Joining me on a Tuesday night to talk about the human body, Dr Matthew Barton and Dr Michael Todorovich. Uh, Doctors Mike and Matt, now you've got your own podcast as yes. well. They can find that on, uh, people can find that on iTunes. Talking about hearing tonight, uh, okay, why do we get dizzy sometimes when we have hearing problems or dysfunction? 
It similarly goes back to the, um, those two nerves. So in your inner ear, you have the cochlea, which is that snail shell. But right next to it, you have these kind of strange apparatus, which has kind of got like these three rings or like three donuts. And what they do is give you a perception of movement in space. So mm -hmm. kind of working on an x-axis, which is um, right to left, a forward, so moving forward, moving back, and which is the z-axis, and then moving up and down, which is... Sorry, that's the z-axis, the other one is x. <laughs> um, so it tells you how you're moving and how you're accelerating in space. Yeah. Now, the vestibular rings is essentially joined to the cochlea by all this fluid. And so in your middle ear... The middle ear is important for changing air sound into liquid sound. Mm. And if there is a, a high pressure in your middle ear, um, that can cause an issue not only with your hearing, but the way that the fluid is moving through your middle ear, and that can give you dizziness or vertigo mm. or all sorts of balance issues. So that's usually why hearing and the, then the vestibular system are fairly married up closely. Yeah. 1300 222612 if you have a question on hearing tonight doctors matt and mike with me i'm kelly higgins divine god only didn't get that sentence out all right our ears popping on planes now mm. we know that for the average infant on a plane that that's why they're screaming because they're they're experiencing something with their ears that even though it's not pain it's obviously upsetting yes in some way as as adults we um you know chew gum or you know ice cream on the plane, it doesn't go down as well. Um, <laughs> why? What's happening with our ears when we start to, you know, go to go to height? Sure. So when I said that the ears comprise of the outer, middle and inner, mm. the inner part's that cochlea with the fluid, the middle is air, and that's where those three bones sit. But yep. another thing, another anatomical uh, structure that's within the middle ear is a tube. And this tube goes from the middle ear into our nasal cavity. Yep. And that's called the pharyngotympanic tube. It used to be called the eustachian tube. Mm -hmm. So it's just a direct tube which connects the nose to the inner ear. Now, Isn't that funny? Because I would have thought, why bother? So it's really that, important. But it's, yes. Yeah, so it, it's what provides the uh, air within that middle ear. So mm. basically what it does is it allows for the middle ear to be equalised to the external atmosphere. Okay, so now it's just dawned on me. Now I know why uh, when we have a cold, when we're really stuffy, why we feel we can't hear things and mm -hmm. everything goes wonky. So if you think about that middle ear, mm. it's on one side, it's got the... It's, so on both sides there's a membrane and on one side of the membrane is the cochlea and on the other side is the eardrum. So if there's a pressure difference in that middle ear compared to outside, mm. uh, what's going to happen is, let's just say there's greater pressure in the middle ear than there is outside, it's going to push on the eardrum and the eardrum's going to be, there's going to be a lot of pressure on it and it won't vibrate very well. So mm. it feels like it's blocked. Same thing happens if the pressure's great outside the atmosphere uh, and not in the middle ear, it's going to push on the eardrum in the opposite direction. And again, the eardrum won't vibrate. And that's what we call a blocked ear. Yeah. Right? And so when you go up and you start to ascend in an aeroplane, they're changing the pressure of the cabin, for example. So the mm. atmosphere is changing. And if you've got a little bit of a cold, what's mm. going to happen is that 
it's going to block up that yep. pharyngotympanic tube. And if it blocks that tube, then you get pressure changes, and mm. then that's when your ears get blocked and you need to... You blow your nose, you clear the tube, it tends to yep. clear it out. Kids, they've got a shorter eustachian tube, mm. uh, and it's more horizontal, and it's more prone to getting blocked. So that means they're more prone to getting these pressure differences and also means they're more prone to getting middle ear infections. Ah, and that's why you're constantly at the doctor. That's mm. right. And those middle, middle ear infections, infections can be quite bad. I mean, if, if yeah. it doesn't clear up, the inflammation in the middle ear can again for, create pressure and it can burst the eardrum, that pressure. Oh. And if it bursts the eardrum, then the fluid leaks out, which is better for the mm. individual. Yep. Um, but if it doesn't burst... Uh, the immune system can clean it up. Sometimes when it cleans it up, it leaves the mucus and it forms like a glue, and that's called ear glue, yep. and glue that ear. can stop... Um, glue ear. Glue, glue ear. ear, yeah. So Yuck. that can stop hearing from happening. So that can be one cause of partial hmm. deafness in, in an ear. Can an eardrum be repaired? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And they sometimes in that case, they'll put little holes in it, grommet, mm. which they call grommets, which allows it to drain... Because okay. if it happens too often, then, as Mike said, the, the membrane might be permanently damaged and then you might mm. get certain conductive deafness or particularly happening in young infants, they might have trouble processing sound and they might be, develop a learning difficulty. Yeah. All right. Well, the year's fascinating. There's a lot of stuff we, to we talk about. Do we take it for granted? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, piercings, all those sort of things that we put in there, do they make any difference at all to how we hear? I wouldn't think so. What do you think, man? The ones at the top. I, I sort of think about the car, only that it's painful. Why would you do that to yourself? But people, uh, whatever, each their own. You get some at, you get some at the tragus and then the helix, which is that top part that you were mm. just highlighting there. I don't think it makes a difference apart from the aesthetics, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. I can't think of one. Yeah. And and the actual, uh, the, that top of the ear, that's just cartilage, mm. is it, that that's made out of? That's right. Okay. And it's good to be flexible, I suppose, elastic, if you're in ear. Elastic cartilage, so it does yeah. have that springy nature to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Righty-o. <laughs> Any other bits of the body that are made of elastic cartilage? She asks, hoping that the answer isn't too bad. <laughs> epiglottis. Epiglottis is pretty much just the ear and the epiglottis are oh, the really? only two places of a elastic cartilage. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just wondering whether it'd be good to have, you know, elastic cartilage around your knees or something, especially as you get older. No, I don't know if you'd want that. I think No, the, what would happen? Like, you wouldn't be able to walk, would you? Yeah, I think you'd the type of cartilage that, that's there... Uh, is is the type of cartilage that you want? That's okay. uh, it's it's because there's going to be way a lot of weight bearing there. Yeah, evolution. Yeah, <laughs> it reduces friction. That's what you want. You don't want elastic cartilage no, in your knees. No, I take that back. <laughs> Just popped into my head. I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. in. Thanks now, what's your podcast again, so people can go to it? It's Doctor Matt and Doctor Mike's medical podcast. <laughs> I should remember <laughs> that. It's not that hard, is it? <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much.